Welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week we'll be listening to a sermon from Pastor Dana O'Brien's sermon series on caring for the planet. This sermon was originally given on October 9th, 2022. Unfortunately, the original recording was corrupted, so Pastor Dana re-recorded it last week. We hope you enjoy this message and that it offers some meaning in your life. I'm sure that we all know companies touting their commitment to combat climate change. But this, this company is going all in. And you've probably heard about it last month. The, fa- the founder of Patagonia, which makes about $100 million per year selling outdoor apparel and equipment, the founder transferred ownership of, of the country to two entities that will help fight the climate crisis. We're making the earth our only shareholder, said the owner. That's pretty cool. So for the last four weeks, I've opened my sermons with stories of floods and hurricanes and fires and heat waves, all examples of the extreme weather that we're seeing in the U.S. and around the world. My goal, of course, has been to focus all of us on the, the tragic, the tragic impacts of climate change happening all around us so that we can see the horrendous toll that our warming planet is having on so, so many. So that having seen that, we can then understand that as Christians, and, and really we don't even have to go there, we can just say as simply as humans, We have to act. Now, we all know that God has given us a biblical mandate to take care of this world and and to take care of it just like God would, with, with love. And we hear Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourselves, including all of our neighbors near and far who are suffering the effects of this warming planet right now. And, and all our younger neighbors, our kids and our grandkids and, and generations yet to come whose lives will be dramatically different, dramatically harder if we don't do something to stop the devastating effects of climate change. But, but I also know that it's, it's one thing to be alarmed by what's happening, to, to do, to want to do something to change the course that our planet is on, and it's in something else entirely to know what to do and to actually do it. So last week, we looked at a whole bunch of different ways that each of us can combat climate change. And I imagine that some of you were a bit overwhelmed by, the, by all the options that, that I threw out there. Um, but if this is fairly new to you, as it, as it is to me, you're probably not going to dive right in by doing something huge. You know, our, our first act probably wouldn't be getting an electric car or going vegan or, or putting solar panels on our homes or, or never flying again. We're probably going to, prob- those of us, especially those of us who are starting, we're probably going to start smaller. So I wanted to present some easier options, some places to start. Because, because here's the thing, everyone can do something. In, indeed, even more than that, everyone has to do something if we're going to fix this mess we've made. And the more somethings that each of us do, the better off we all will be. But here's the thing. Realistically, even if all of us, all of, all of us here and all of us individuals everywhere, even if we all did all we could to eliminate our own carbon footprints, it still wouldn't be enough. It's, and that's pretty shocking, I know. It still wouldn't be enough to keep us below the goals set back in the 2015 Paris Accord. It wouldn't be enough to keep the really serious impacts of climate change from impacting God's planet. This is a, this is a collective problem, and it's going to take a collective action to address it. Collective action that includes individuals and governments and fossil fuel producers and investors and all those in the transportation and agricultural sectors here and around the world everyone, everyone, all of us working together to get this problem under control. And here's the other thing, and we touch on this every week. The actions necessary to address climate change also also address lots of other issues our world is facing. 
health, poverty, pollution, illness, biodiversity, economic and racial inequalities, and a, and a whole lot of other issues. So, so as I've said before, taking action to fight climate change, if done with an eye toward loving our neighbors, especially our most vulnerable neighbors, is a win-win-win for all of us. So, this week, first, a couple of interesting, maybe surprising ways to fight climate change, and then a couple of ways that we can take collective action to encourage governments and corporations to get involved. Because while it might be nice, it, I don't think, I don't think that most companies are going to go all the way, uh, all the way in like Patagonia did. But you know, just the fact that, well, just the fact that one company did, well, that's really inspiring, and it's really hopeful on so many levels. So, our first way may be surprising to, uh, as, a, as a way to help fight climate change. Here's the thing. Reduce your pet's carbon paw print. Yes, you heard me. Reduce your pet's carbon paw print. And here I'm primarily talking those of us with cats and dogs. It's estimated that in 2022, 70% of U.S. households have at least one pet. And it turns out that our pets are big contributors, contributors to our climate crisis, primarily because of their meat-based food diet. According to one study, what our cats and dogs eat annually generates the same amount of carbon emissions as driving 13.6 million cars for a year. Yes, 13.6 million cars for a year. The good news is that we can drastically cut our pets' carbon paw prints by taking a few simple steps. First, modify their diet. I know we've all got some overweight cats and dogs out there. I think I have a couple myself. Um, but if they're overweight, let's, not just, let's just not feed them so much, right? Second, ditch the fancy pet food. Instead, dog and cat food that contains beef scraps or parts of meat that humans don't eat, that's fine for our pets as long as it's nutritionally balanced. Or consider skipping beef altogether. Offer fish, chicken, or even insect-based food instead. Also, buy food in bulk to cut down on packaging. Buy sustainable pet supplies and toys and use biodegradable poop eggs. Enlist your pet in the climate battle. How cool is that? You and Fido fighting the climate battle together. Second, a growing body of evidence indicates that one of the best ways to combat climate change is to educate girls. Educating girls fosters climate leadership skills and increases smart farming practices. And since women had most small farms in many countries, that's a huge thing. In addition, education coupled with voluntary family planning often decreases the number of children per family, resulting in less overall carbon emissions. Education also helps women and their families survive climate disasters, which, as we know, are becoming more and more frequent and more and more severe. This is, this, is, this is such a cool climate change solution because educating girls around the globe is so good for so many others. It's an, a perfect example of a win-win-win situation. Third, green your money. Green your money. Take steps to, take, to make sure that the financial entities you're working with are committed to a more sustainable planet for everyone. So, what about the places you bank or hold your mortgage? What steps are they taking to go green? How invested are they in the fossil fuel industry? Now, using an online site, Bank Green. So I looked up, um, so I went to Bank Green and I looked up BMO Harris, which is the bank both I and Cross of Glory use. Unfortunately, it didn't do very well. Apparently, BMO is one of the 60 biggest funders of fossil fuels in the world which is kind of a bummer. In the six years since the Paris Agreement, the banks in this category have funneled $4.6 trillion, trillion with a T, into coal, oil, and gas, which are rapidly accelerating the climate crisis. So we have to look into that. 
At a minimum, I need to have, I guess, a conversation with bank representatives. Even if we don't move our money, the more conversations people have, the more pressure is put on banks to reconsider and change their practices. Now, ironically and unfortunately, it turns out that BMO Harris is the best of the banks that I deal with. Bank of America, which is where I have one of my two credit cards, is the fourth highest in the world for fossil fuel financing. And Wells Fargo, who has my mortgage, is number three. And Chase, where I've got my other credit card, is number one. So I can see that I'm going to end up having lots of conversations or maybe establishing some new financial relationships. And what about your investments? If you're looking to invest some money, there are lots of ways to invest in clean energy or climate-friendly businesses. And finally, for some of us, especially us older folks, our retirement funds may be our largest financial asset, so check to see how it's invested. If you've got a 401k or IRA, you probably have some control over, invest over its investment, which means that you can select more climate-friendly options. Providers are increasingly offering investment options to consider environmental, social, and governance factors, so go ahead and take advantage of them. And then there's charitable giving. There's a lot, there are lots, there are huge numbers of really good organizations out there that are doing a lot of good climate change work. Check them out and consider donating. Now, most of the suggestions I've made, both last week and today, are things that we can do individually to combat climate change. But when we started looking at talking to banks and investment providers to encourage them to, t to take more climate-friendly actions, we're moving into taking collective action for you know, working together with lots of other like-minded people to influence businesses and governments to make climate change action and move away from supporting fossil fuels. So collectively, we can use our purchasing and investment decisions to impact corporations and entities to change their behavior. Collectively, we can divest from and boycott those entities selling goods and engaging in practices that are not climate-friendly. Instead, we buy products and we invest in entities that are. Way back in 2014, which is a while ago now, Desmond Tutu, then Archbishop Emeritus of Cape Town and a Nobel Prize Peace, Peace Prize laureate, wrote as follows. People of conscience need to break their ties with corporations financing the injustice of climate change. We can, for instance, boycott events, sports teams, and media programming sponsored by fossil fuel energy companies. We can demand that the advertisements of energy companies carry health warnings. We can encourage more of the universities and municipalities and cultural institutions to cut their ties to the fossil fuel industry. We can actively encourage energy companies to spend more of their resources on the development of sustainable energy products, and we can reward those companies that do so by using their products. Those are some amazing suggestions made nine years ago, and they're still really valid today. And all those suggested practices work much better when there's lots of people acting together and doing them. So we work with organizations like, like Citizens Climate Lobby, Sierra Club's Beyond Coal Campaign, 350 Org, or the Sunrise Movement, so that, so that, those are, so that, bleh, that are already adept at citizen organizing. And then we talk about it, and we encourage people to know and we know to join as well. So studies indicated that more and more people are willing to pay more, more for sustainable products. Indeed, many have already changed their purchasing patterns due to a company's environmental position. And of course, we need to do more than just listen to a company's promise to act. We need to focus on what they're actually doing rather than simply what they say they'll do or what they say they're doing. It turns out that a number of big companies talk a lot louder than they act. And then there's the big one. We need to take advantage of the fact that we live in a democracy by also acting in the political arena. And that's needed at the local, state, and federal levels. We need to encourage our federal government to adopt more policies favoring renewable energy, like was just done in the IRA. 
We need to, to do that by getting in touch with our representatives to make our desires known. Believe it or not, elected representatives are responsive to their constituents, especially when it's a lot of constituents. Part of our climate action team's plan is to help us do some advocacy work to connect us with our representatives, both to thank them when they do something good and to challenge them when they need to do more. And again, there are organizations out there that can help us with everything. There, there's who our reps are, what they've done, how to contact them, what to say. They do everything but sign the letter and make the call. That's on us. For some of us, contacting our elected representatives might be just the first step. Maybe marching in protest supporting certain climate change actions or even nonviolent acts of civil disobedience may be where you'll find yourself. And all of us, absolutely all of us, need to find out where candidates at all levels of government stand on climate change. We need to vote for people who are committed to work to save this planet rather than get in the way. At the same time, I'm sure you know that there are strong interests supporting the fossil fuel industry and the status quo. It's pretty obviously we see it all the time. And change, even change, that's being made to save the world as we know it. And no, that's not, that's not over-the-top discourse. That's exactly what's at stake here. Even change that's going to save the world won't happen without challenge. Earlier this year in Texas, we saw a new law was signed to bar the state's retirement and investment funds from doing business with companies that the state controller says are boycotting fossil fuels. It's completely backwards. Conservative lawmakers in other states are promoting similar legislation. So if we're going to encourage businesses to take a position against fossil fuels, we need to support them when they do that. We need to counter the pressure that big fossil fuel companies and their supporters exert on government officials. I'm guessing you won't be surprised by this. But in the United States, the best predictor of one's position on climate change is one's political affiliation. There are many who believe that climate change, and whether or not we choose to act on it, is a political issue. Well, you know the people of God. You know this. You know this, people of God. Climate change is not a political issue. It is not a red or blue issue. Climate change, the warming of this planet, and the, in some cases, irreparable harm that's already occur causing, that's a moral issue. It's a theological issue, it's a human issue, it's a love-your-neighbor issue. And as Christians, our call is clear, to act as responsible stewards of God's planet, to love our neighbors by doing all we can do to combat climate change. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you're able to bring some of these concepts into your life. Come back next week for another episode of Faith for All. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, family, and anyone else you can think of about it. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music, John Uzardo engineered the sound, Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties, and I'm your friend and humble announcer, Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us.